Yeah, um, my, my dream is to be in the middle of nowhere and never go outside and have someone bring me oh, candy. Right. So, so I was like, what's sure. the problem? You'd have a cup, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Feminist Frequency Radio. This is episode number three. I'm your host, Anita Sarkeesian, and I'm joined by Carolyn Pettit. Hello. And Ebony Astor. Hey, people. This is the show that asks you to be critical of the media you love. Or alternatively, we are the feminist killjoys coming for your media, depending on your perspective. On today's show, we're going to do a quick check-in with the pop culture news of the week. We're going to talk about comedian Hari Kondabolu's thought-provoking new documentary about Apu from The Simpsons. We're going to dive a little bit into Stranger Things 2 and discuss this pattern of murder dads that's shown up lately in media like Logan and The Last of Us. And we're going to end with What's Your Deal, where we'll each share something we've been thinking about lately. I still hate that name, so at me for some better ideas. Thank you. At me if you just want to confirm that that is the best title. We will also be sharing a bonus segment for our fantastic Drip Backers, in which we each recommend something we've watched and loved on Netflix recently. Mm -hmm. If you are a Drip Backer already, thank you so, 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 so much. We're overwhelmed with your enthusiasm and support for our new project. This podcast is entirely listener-supported on Kickstarter's new monthly crowdfunding subscription service, Drip. So if you like what you hear, please consider chipping in. You can do that at d.rip slash femfreak. All right, y'all. I kind of feel like we've already done this. Explain what you mean, Anita. Like, I'm confused. Like, it, it's like a it's like a little bit of deja vu, as if we already recorded and now we're recording again. Weird, weird. Here's the thing, people. We don't like to tell you how the sausage <laughs> is made, but we got to tell you how the sausage is made. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. No, and I no. completely Tech is always difficult. I completely effed up the recording. Uh, for the initial hot takes. So we are re-recording. Um, and here's hoping that I managed to A, stay awake, B, bless you with some more of my patented 8 a.m. charm. I love it. And the more tired you are, Ebony, the more perfect your jokes are. Mm-hmm. Well, here's what it is, mm-hmm. is that they don't, they make even less sense at this time of day. Um, <laughs> but people are afraid to call me on it because they're like, maybe I just don't get it. So it works. Yes, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, Carol, you want to check us in on the pop culture of the week? Yeah. uh, Let's uh, start with something a little more serious, and then we'll move to something a little more, uh, you know, uplifting. So on Thanksgiving, uh, so Uma Thurman uh, put up a a message on Instagram. And I don't know if Ebony and Anita, you had the chance to see it. but Girl, yes. She she appeared in this this interview, and it was just amazing to watch where where she was asked on, I believe it was like the red carpet premiere for something or other, but, you know, she was asked... Uh, about the scandals in ho- in Hollywood uh, and everything, and you could just see in her face the anger and the effort she was making to like hold things in, and and she said, you know, that it's that she's learned that it's not good to speak out in in anger, and you know, so she was going to take some time, and then she would have something to say, and uh, so it's. You know, that interview is incredible to watch. And so then on Thanksgiving, she posted uh, on her Instagram this message. <clears throat> it said, Happy Thanksgiving. I'm grateful today um, to be alive for all those I love and for all those who have the courage to stand up for others. I said I was angry recently, and I have a few reasons. 
meet hashtag me too in case you couldn't tell by the look on my face. I feel it's important to take your time, be fair, be exact. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone, except you, Harvey, and all of your wicked conspirators. I'm glad it's going slowly. You don't deserve a bullet. Mm. Stay tuned, Uma, Uma Thurman. Wow. So, yeah. I like like, and it was a still from Kill Bill. Like the picture she posted oh, yeah. the caption was a still from so, Kill Bill. Lo, Uma Thurman is coming for some necks, and I am here for it. She, like, <laughs> yes. the, the, the interview that Carol referenced where she was just, like, visibly vibrating with rage. We, we knew. We knew. Like, mm. Uma has some shit to say, and she's like, let me and- gather this together because I'm going to read every single one of the receipts that I have. Oh my God. When it, she, and she, the woman can't yeah. be stopped. I'm so here for it. I'm so here for it. And it, it is, you know, and it's something, it's rather uh, strange to think about how, yeah, in Kill Bill, which was a movie produced by like the Weinsteins um, as like all, I believe pretty much all of Tarantino's work has been. Mm-hmm. She was playing this woman who was, uh, was, uh, pursuing and you know killing the men who had done her wrong but that even as she was working on that film she herself may have been you know in a position of a kind of powerlessness you know against uh the the system that because she refers to Weinstein and his conspirators which i think is interesting and important that she's you know she's saying that it, it was you know it wasn't like him alone he had a whole system of people around him who kind of enabled him to to do the things that he was doing yeah and like Miriam um, <laughs> so, webster coming out with the word of the year being complicit right like at some point yeah. when we do you know the excavation um the excavation work necessary to see how we got here why we got here what we do to move forward you know we have to really wrestle individually and you know collectively with you know not just where the blame lies but but ways in which you know we all are complicit in you know kind of upholding these systems of power that allow people to be exploited and in fact demand that people get exploited and i love i love the way you frame that carol cuz yeah you know we have this image of uma thurman as this filmic badass right but she's saying at the same time you know, that there's this kind of, you know, uh, media persona of me, like kicking ass and taking names. At the same time, you know, I and people like me were subject to, you know, the the vagaries of fucking sexual predators, you know, like it, it right. can affect women. It can affect vulnerable people in any situation, you know. And also, like, the idea of Weinstein financing a film about a vengeful woman right. while himself being such a such a horrible monster. Uh, also, real quick about, about the word complicit being word of the year. There was a great tweet that said that, uh, you know, Dictionary.com was subtweeting all white people by choosing <laughs> right. complicit as word right. of the year. Uh, <laughs> um, in in uh, in more you know uh, sort of uplifting and exciting um, entertainment news, uh, this past week new posters and a really cool new trailer were revealed for uh, A Wrinkle in Time, Ava DuVernay's upcoming you know film adaptation of the beloved uh, children's. How book. excited are you? Yeah, I am so excited. I mean, I yeah, like I'm so excited. It's so great to see the the this cast of you know. Uh, of uh, uh, like you know this young woman of color a, a young girl at the center of the story love it um 
yeah. yeah. And it looks really, it's, like, yeah. the, a lot of the sort of whimsical costume design definitely calls back mm. a bit to uh, the Hunger Games and the designs of, mm. uh, I think it, it's been a while since I read or watched those, but the district or the, the like, the rich, yeah. you know, capitalist right. class or whatever. Um, but in right. this, I just, I'm, I'm excited that it's characters that are not necessarily all horrible people looking really awesome. Uh, and just the casting of, like, all of these people of color. And I really, I, I think that Ava DuVernay does some incredible work. I think that her voice in this arena and, like, the getting the, the fame and notoriety that she's gotten has really been amazing in elevating these stories. Like, I, you know, I've talked before about how Queen Sugar is a show that I just love intensely and I think is so, so important. Um, and, of course, she's... You know, like, of course, it's one of her shows because <laughs> she just right. she's able to take really complex ideas um, about race and about gender and about like social uh, environment, uh, so- social strata, I guess, social culture things. Wow. that None of those words made sense, but you get me. Keep um, going. Keep going. Yeah. Just I'll just social bananas and social TVs. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really excited and gratified um, that that you really responded to the costuming in this movie, Anita, because I am going to spend 2018 dressed like Oprah Winfrey as Miss I Witch. I cannot so wait. It's good to know that you're, that you're going to back me in that because I am absolutely about to go cosplay. I mean, Crazy. I, feel like, I feel like you deserve a raise if you like cosplay that every People, day, right? People, hey. <laughs> the three podcast listeners we have, y'all heard it. You can testify. No, no, no. no. My paycheck the three doesn't podcasts, go up from here. The three podcast listeners are the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Are you saying that they're the same listeners or three new listeners? I think it's three new listeners uh, and maybe boy, oh boy. occasionally a disco person. I don't. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know why we give Ebony a, a microphone. <laughs> Because I bring the hot tea. <laughs> Weak. I'm not insulting them. In fact, if anything, I'm saying the three of you. Let me bring it down. Bring the music down. The three of you are so special. You really are the backbone of this podcast and of my life in general. Uh, what you bring to me on Twitter at Ebony Aster, also at Bad Girl Riri or at Gabrielle Union. I will respond to any of those accounts. <laughs> You're the ones that keep me inspired. But anyways, back to the, A Wrinkle in Time. So A Wrinkle in Time, I, I read the entire series when I was a kid. Um, and I, I liked A Wrinkle in Time best. Um, one of the things that I've talked about, you know, with people who also like, you know, had uh, that series as kind of like foundational text as kids is that as the books go on, the kind of like um, undercurrent of, you know, uh, like, Christian theology in the books becomes much more overwhelming. And, you know, like, despite the fact that that's my own faith background, I was just like, yeah, I'm not here for it, you know? Um, but A Wrinkle <laughs> yeah. in Time, I was absolutely, like, I was blown away by it as a kid. And then, you know, as you get older, you think, I'm not sure if this holds up as much, but the sense of wonder um, I felt when I read those books is absolutely back now, having watched those trailers. And one of the uh, the moments in the trailer that really stood out for me is that moment where um, the kids are on that street. It's like the suburban, you know, generic 
beige house street and all of the children are lined up in the driveways bouncing balls in time and everyone is kind of like perfectly attuned perfectly in rhythm and I remember that moment so clearly in the books because one child bounces a ball out of time and it completely like the the sense of fear that that person has stepped out of place um, was bone chilling, and so I, I love the way that they managed to convey that in the um, yeah in the trailer yeah. and in the movie. So I'm I'm super excited about it. Yeah. I'm also excited to see uh, Chris Pine and his gray beard as you know <laughs> scholar yeah. dad. Well, Whatever, will, I'm into it. We, we will definitely go see that and then uh, and then talk about it as we do now on our awesome podcast that you're listening yeah. to. Thank you for listening. All right, let's dive into it. I'm uh, I'm really stoked that we have an opportunity to talk about. Hari Kondabolu's new documentary called The Problem with Apu. If you aren't familiar with him, he's an amazing comedian. He's very funny, and he does a lot of political co- comedy. Um, he also uh, runs a podcast called Politically Reactive, which we all, or I do. <laughs> I really like that one. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he worked with True TV and made a documentary about Apu from The Simpsons, talking about how this, like, really intensely stereotypical representation of like a, of a, a like a mockery of an indian man has been so detrimental and harmful to him personally and and um and all of the other people he yeah so that that's the overarching theme of the of the documentary uh i really liked it a lot i thought that it did such a beautiful job of really validating our work in a way that doesn't happen super often because you really saw the impact that this character had on a wide wide range of of people right because you know so hari talks to so many other people who are now themselves like entertainers comedians writers you know actors or you know daily show segment hosts you know all these like really skilled people who um who when they were younger were you know taunted tor- you know tormented by being mocked be- you know be- called apu or like apu was referenced in the way that they were mocked and you know and so the the there's a kind of real like psychological and emotional harm that was done to these people. But then you have to think, well, if, if that's being done to this group of people, then the people doing it to them, obviously their sense of what it means to be Indian or really just Brown in America is like informed by Apu because Apu is like literally the only, you know, one of them says like Apu was like the only representation we had for years and years and years like Apu was it and so it just you know the fact that it just it just really demonstrates how wrong people are when they come at us on Twitter with their arguments like oh you know games or TV or movies don't actually like have any effect whatsoever on anyone's like uh, attitudes or opinions or anything. It's like, of course they do. Yeah. yeah. And they yeah. have such and a profound... There's a super powerful yeah. moment at the very beginning where there's a... It's like an old um, stand-up of Hari and someone heckles him it, from the audience with, like, phrases Thank from... Thank you, come again. Yeah, and, like, yep. having that on camera and, like, opening with that mm-hmm. I thought was really powerful. And and Hari's response, like, as to the heckler is so good. He's like... He says, you know, you're the reason I do comedy, sir. Like, basically as if, like, he's there to kind of 
try to to shatter those kinds of stereotypes. Yeah. But he re- realizes that that is a legitimate issue that needs to be to be challenged and disrupted. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think one of the things I loved about, and I loved so many things about this documentary, but one of the things I loved about it is the um, the way that Hari speaks to you know these different creators, artists, producers, comics, um, you know, thinkers, um, scientists, etc., and the ways in which this like kind of multi-generational, you know, um, across the gender spectrum, you know, group of people are saying, yes, it's, it's affected me in this way. And in my life, without me wanting to, or even intending to, I'm always having to respond to that with my actions and my art first, because that's what people know, you know, like their, their ideas about what constitutes Southeast Asian identity, what constitutes an Indian person is always already informed by this incredibly noxious, incredibly pervasive representation. And yeah, you know, there's, there's room for, you know, transgression in comedy, although we can definitely talk about, you know, the idea, uh, the way that people take refuge and the notion that like the Simpsons, you know, is an equal opportunity offender. What the fuck ever, you know, miss mm-hmm. me with that. But, um, but I think, you know, when you have such a like dearth of representation, when there, you can literally count on one hand with four fingers down the number of representations of Southeast Asians, you know, in pop culture, then we just simply don't have the luxury of letting these kinds of stereotypical and racist depictions to continue. And so that's why I was so furious when Har you know, has that sit down conversation with Dana Gould, who was a writer and executive producer on The Simpsons for many years. And his rationale and defense for the presentation of Apu essentially comes down to two things. One, white people find accents funny. And two, this is what you have to do when you're racing to complete 20 plus scripts, you know, a year over the course of, you know, three decades. Man, if you don't get to fuck with that, like, that's the laziest ass entitled bullshit reason I can't believe I'm this angry at yeah. eight in the morning, but just you know, I, that 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 <laughs> section. I'm surprised Hari didn't jump across the couch and just like you know throw a sock in Dana Gould's mouth. I was so pissed. Yeah, what was so illuminating about that was that the way that Dana Gould said, you know, treat do, um, exploiting the you know uh, Apu in these kind of four ways that people find funny to the writers is exactly the same as exploiting. Uh, 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 Burn, Mr. Burns in these four ways. Right. It's like no different. And well, Hari points out Burns is like a powerful, you know, billionaire figure. So when you mock him, you're, and those people actually exist, bad, evil, you know, so when you, when you mock him, you're punching up. When you mock Apu, you know, you're not. And the way that Dana Gould says it's, you know, it's exactly the same to us in the writer's room. It just, like, I cannot imagine that there are people of Indian descent in that writer's room. It's got to right. be, like, just a sea of, like, white people, because if you have a diverse group in the writer's room, they will fucking know that it, it isn't exactly the same, and they will be able to although, to make... Yeah. yeah, although I will say, like, knowing people who are people of color and women in writer's rooms who might be the only one, they, uh, like, sure. don't necessarily have the power or ability to oh. change that stuff, even though they uh, know it's a problem. Which is why you yeah, have that, it's, so much that, more 
You need to have so many more people of color and women in these spaces. Exactly. And queer folks. And and there's also the the complication, you know, and Hari goes into this too when talking to to some of the actors in the show about how sometimes these representations, as stereotypical and one dimensional as they are, become so overwhelming um, that the people who like who actually inhabit that identity start to take them on not not right. the you know what i'm saying like they as a way almost as like as a defense like a psychic defense they will say mm-hmm. like oh no i found it funny because it's just so overwhelming mm-hmm. it's just so everywhere you start to you know buy into the cultural myths around it you know despite knowing how you know ultimately traumatizing it is to say like this is what people think about me um and it was you know when when hari says like you know what gets me about uh, Apu is that it's a white guy doing an impression of a white guy making fun of my dad, you know? So yeah, mm-hmm. like it affects him personally, you know, but also like you can hear, you know, the the kind of sadness when he thinks like, this is what people think of people like me and, and like my family. Um, and so I yeah. loved when he talked to his parents too. And, you know, his mom says, yeah, like, you know, it's not great. We don't love it, but you have the luxury um, in the generation you're in of being able to question these things as an American in a way that maybe we didn't feel as if we had the luxury to question. Yeah, which was super, like, listening to that, you know, like, it's I, I feel that as, like, a child of immigrants, uh, as a child of immigrant parents who were just like, you come to this country to provide a better life for your family. It's the American dream, sort of, like, meritocracy bootstraps bullshit that I don't really agree with. But but why would you challenge this space that's a better space for my family, right? And now those of us who have grown up here, and this is our cultural identity, uh, we're like, yeah, no, like, that's not okay. And this isn't okay. And we have more space to fight for that, I think, than Mm -hmm. what our parents felt like they had the capacity to do. Um, One thing that I found, um, so the Dana Gould stuff was really dominated my notes when I was watching this because I thought that was one of the most um it would just watching him say these things and being like do you know what you're being interviewed for like why did you agree to this okay one um, so one of the things that I was thinking about it thinking about because I'm so glad they got that interview it added a depth to this conversation that otherwise wouldn't have been there is in his quotes about justifying this this horribly harmful stereotypical representation, he kept using the word nature. So he would say things like, accents by their very nature to white Americans are funny, period. And then he would say that, like, that, you know, uh, as Carolyn mentioned earlier, that there's no difference between making fun of Burns and Apu. Like, he has no conception of power analysis at all. And that it's the nature of writing a television show. It's the nature of comedy. And I think that that's really important to understand his worldview there. Because one of the things that privilege does is it makes you invisible to, one, your privilege. And two, you think that the world is, that as you perceive it, is just the way that it is. And, like... I'm really troubled by the language of like, it is just inherent in us. And it is just the nature of us to like, be deeply offensive. Like, no, this is not the way it has to be. And it's not the way it always is going to be. 
Right. And the, the, the idea when he asked Hari, like, well, what would you have us do? Would you have us, like, get rid of this beloved character? Yes. As if, as if <laughs> Apu is enshrined in the Smithsonian or something. As yeah. if it will be, like, you know, yeah. robbery of, on a grand well, cosmic scale was like, to, to, to delete this, this kind of figure from the yeah, show. Yeah, and he was like, oh, what, would you have us kill him? And I'm like, oh, there's no other options here? Like, of course we don't want you to kill him off. That would be terrible. But, like, there are many ways to write a character off a show or to change a character like there's it's just such narrow-minded thinking and i think that that was really really important uh to to see in this in this documentary um one of the other things that i you know stuck out at me was there's a comedian that's interviewed named russell peters and i'm not familiar with his comedy but based on the documentary he talks about like he does a lot of um accents like that's kind of his his comedic shtick i guess um and there was a quote that he said Um, Because people would be like, well, why can you do that? And like, you know, sort of getting, you know, challenging him on his his career. Um, And he said, don't get caught up on my color and don't get caught up on the words. Get caught up on the intent. And I was like, "Uh, no, (laughs) I was like, I really don't agree with that. I mean, either. I mean, that's another argument that people will throw at us fairly often of when we criticize some character or some thing as as se- as like having the cultural impact of being sexist. People might say, oh, but don't you think that the creators wanted it to be like this, uh, you know, somehow this like positive thing? And it doesn't matter what the creators what their intent was, because we don't walk out of the theater or walk away from the TV show or walk away from the game impacted by the the creative intent we walk away impacted by what the media actually does and what it actually yeah you know and, says and look I've spent the last five years talking to game developers like a lot <laughs> directly and like there are definitely intentional sex there's definitely intentional sexism in the games industry a hundred percent but. A, a large portion of it is just not knowing. Like, it's so, that's, again, like I was saying, with privilege is that it's, you're invisible to it. It has, you have to like learn that it exists in your life. And so a lot of times there's just like, oh, well, of course we would make this woman like big boobs and like, you know, battle lingerie and all this stuff because that's just the way it's been. It was just, it was quote unquote, the nature of whatever, right? Right. Um, And so I think that like completely throws a wrench in the argument of what is my intent because if what you produce... You didn't intend it to be sexist, but it sure shit was. That's yeah, going to have I mean, harmful like, ramifications. Yeah, and, you know, we do, you know, we have, as consumers, you know, um, of media, like, we do have a, a complicated relationship to some media um, based upon who we know the creators to be. So if, you know, there's, um, uh, like... If there's a comic who's a person of color, you know, making some kind of joke um, that's directed towards black people, for instance, if that comic is a black person, I'm much more willing to accept it than if it's, you know, a white comic, for instance. So, yeah, you know, sometimes the the, the identity of the creator goes into it, but it, there's something much more nuanced about the way they negotiate that comedy versus the kind of super superficial, one-dimensional way in which, you know, um, people from a position of privilege negotiate that kind of comedy but also in terms of intent man it's just whatever okay if i'm baking a cake and i use salt <laughs> instead of sugar i'm you don't have to eat the cake just because i intended to make a cake it doesn't make the cake any more edible because i intended to bake oh, something thank good God. the so final product is like, still bullshit 
Yeah, so next time you bring a cake into the office, I'll be like, yo, fuck your intent. Carolyn, you, you taste this first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, no Ebony. I'm not bringing you cakes. For the record. I'm not bringing you cinnamon buns. I'm not bringing nothing. Ebony has never brought cakes into the office, ever, not once. So maybe hashtag Ebony bring cakes should be a thing that exists. Yeah, dream on, Dreamweaver. <laughs> All right. Um, let's, let's dive into Stranger Things 2, shall we? Yeah. Um, so I was a huge fan of season one of Stranger Things. Um, and you know what? Like, even though I would say that season two is a huge step down in, like, overall quality and cohesiveness in everything, I still really enjoyed watching it because I was there still for the, 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 you know, the, the, the core cast uh, had some great moments. I love, I'm still such a sucker for like the synthwave John Carpenter soundtrack. Oh my God, and, like, the, the sound the, design uh, is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like just, mm-hmm. I blow, blow my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, except for and that of course, Ted like, Nugent the- addition to the soundtrack. <laughs> that was unnecessary <laughs> and unwelcome. And all that like 80s paraphernalia, the Ghostbusters, Halloween costumes, the Dragon Slayer arcade game. Like I'm just, you know, this is my childhood iconography. So I feel like, oh, I I know who these kids are. I kind of, I know this time. It's that Spielberg, Spielbergian childhood E.T., you know, time period. And so I, I still really liked it. I still really liked it or it worked on me. But um, um, I don't, I guess I have a few issues with it that I think make it less uh, successful than the first season. You know, and one is that um, the first season already had enough on its plate, like trying to tell a story about kind of the, 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 the core cast members who are all still already here. This season brings in uh, a, a really fascinating new character named Max uh, and her like stepbrother Billy and and Eleven's um, sort of lost sister, a, another girl who has or now a woman, but who has kind of, uh, you know, mysterious powers named Kali. And I feel like all these characters, they get short shrift, right? I wanted more of Max. I wanted more of these characters. But because the, it's so busy trying to tell a story about the, the characters we already know, I just feel like these characters seem kind of tacked on. They don't feel really, like, developed in the way that I wanted them to be. Uh, yeah, and um, I feel like some of mm. it, uh, for Max and Billy, I feel like it was, like, I don't know, maybe they were, because you don't find out until very late in the series that who they are and, like, the backstory. And so right. in going yeah. with the sort of, like, horror genre that this plays on, I feel like it was a bit of... Um, you know, like trying to keep the mystery alive. And I think that that the negotiation between like, who are these characters? What are their interests? Why? What is this relationship between this dude, this, this dude and this, this, this girl that he's being really abusive towards? Um, But then it Mm -hmm. like, it took too long, right? Like, it took a little too long so that you, you like, so you're feeling this way because you're, you're like, well, the show's done and now I get it, but I'm still not really that invested. Yeah. Yeah, and when you do learn more about Billy, like I'm, uh, I found the revelations about him really compelling, right? Really interesting, and now I, um, I want him to have a kind of journey that he goes on, like emotionally, psychologically, because I feel like it says something about how, uh, you know, abuse, uh perpetuates itself from you know generation to generation very often because people don't 
have other models for behavior or they just they don't have models for healthy behavior. Damn it. Um, now I can't crack so, on Billy because you've just <laughs> given us a really thoughtful uh, comment about his character when all I thought about him when I saw him on screen <laughs> was why is that 40 year old acting like he's in high school <laughs> so I, mean, I, so, I love yeah. it because it was just like the 1980s when you would have people yeah. who were 10 smooth years from retirement yeah. playing high school freshmen <laughs> and I thought that was a genius <laughs> but yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't look at him and take any of that seriously you and Anita mm-hmm. both had such like thoughtful encounters with this second season. And I just, I, I really didn't. And I, I was disappointed in my reaction. I, I definitely will go back and finish it. I'm only, I think, six episodes um, through the series, but I wasn't driven to, um, to, to finish it, to binge it in the way that I was in the first season, partly because I loved, I loved this image we get of like the inner life of children and the, the rich, like imaginative landscapes they inhabit when you're in that special period, when you're like 10, 11 years old and you can do things, you know, outside the house by yourself without your parents right up on you. You know, but you're still like young and dumb enough to not really get how the adult world works. Like, I I just I loved that in Stranger Things um, season one. And so as the children get older, like I just just personally, not not through any fault of the show, but just personally, I'm I'm less invested in it. Um, And, you know, like you, there were so many different like narrative threads and introduction of new characters in this second season um, that I, I felt a little lost. I mean, obviously, like I'm on board for. Erica, Lucas's little sister. She, if if anyone gets a spinoff or gets oh, more screen time in season three, I she absolutely <laughs> needs to be on screen. Yeah, more, I totally thought you of know, you. I was like, I was like, Ebony, is this what you were like as a kid? Because I <laughs> wish like... I was like that as a kid. I wanted <laughs> to be like that as a kid, but I was not that cool. But uh, one of the other funny things about uh, this second season was spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Francis stole Pee-wee's bike. We find out where Eleven has been since the end of the first season, right? Like, we had that sense that that she was going to be with Hopper because the the last image of season one is him leaving those Eggo waffles for her and that, like, hideout. But so she's been living with Hopper in this murder cabin out in the woods, you know, (laughs) for a year. And, you know, like, Hopper doesn't let her leave the house. Like, for her own safety, he's being kind of you know, like way overprotective. Although given what she's been through, what they've all been through, you could make an argument that it's not overprotective at all, but he certainly doesn't communicate well to her, like exactly why it's so necessary for her to remain like inside, isolated from her friends, et cetera. But because I'm a woman who has no children of her own, I know that I should have empathized with Elle, but I got so irritated when she would crack off against Hopper. And I'm like, girl, he could have left your ass in the woods eating raw squirrel meat and wearing leaves for clothes. You better act like you got some gratitude. See, I I was the exact opposite. And I think, you know, in a weird way... That's because you're a nice person, Carol. No, no, no. If I'm going to get a little... No, I'm being serious here. I think it's because I feel similarly like I missed out on a lot when I was young, right? So I, like, when she, like, her friends are out, like, having all this fun, and she's, like, trapped in this cabin, and, and, you know, and and so sometimes she even lashes out in anger, right? She, she, 
you know, she sees uh, Mike and and Max together, and she 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 lashes out at Max using her her magic abilities. And while I'm like, on one hand, I'm super frustrated, like that the show is positioning already these girls as being in competition with each other. Like I think that that sucks, and I wish that they could just all be like friends without kind of this need to like uh you know pair off or like or like oh the the you know there's the girls and the boys are like diff you know kind of different from each other now um i i guess i i also really understood eleven's like intense desire to get out of that cabin and just exist in the world for a bit yeah my um, my dream is to be in the middle of nowhere and never go outside and have someone bring me oh, candy. Right. So, so I was like, what's sure. the problem? You'd have a cup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, so so Hopper is like super, super protective. And he doesn't, you know, and we all understand the reasons why he's that way. But he also doesn't really communicate them in a way that's like sensitive or compassionate. And, of course, it's super obvious as it's happening that it's setting up. Uh, dramatic conflict, right? We know that it's going to be a thing where it just like that's the conflict between them is that Hopper's been such an asshole and and it hasn't understood Eleven's desire and Eleven maybe has been kind of an asshole back. But you know, um, I saw this tweet um, from Soha who works at Riot. Um, she t- she saw an image on Tumblr that somebody had created where it was like three very similar images. It was uh, Joel and uh, Ellie from The Last of Us, like riding in in a truck. Uh, it was Logan and Laura from the movie Logan riding in like a car or a truck, and it was Hopper and Eleven riding in Hopper's truck in Stranger Things season two, and um, her. The, the text of her tweet said said something like, um, I saw this on t- on my Tumblr dashboard, and I know it's supposed to be heartfelt, but I all I can think is, why do we keep telling the same stories over and over again? And, you know, I hadn't thought about that before, but it really made me think about what is this pattern of men who are, like, emotionally closed off and, and really kind of gruff and in many cases violent and in many cases people having suffered tremendous loss themselves. Joel lost a daughter and Hopper lost a daughter um, who then are, like, you know, can only kind of maybe be humanized or in some ways, you know, their, their emotions can only be accessed, uh, their humanity can only be accessed through, like, a connection with um, a girl, you know, or I, I just think that that's... Uh, it, you know, it says something about the way we think about men and women that that men's humanity, you know, it's almost like men. And I've read this in in texts about uh, like patriarchy and sexism. I think it I think I read it in the gender knot. Um, you know, this, there's there's this notion that um, that women or, uh, possess the women are like the vessels of humanity and that men kind of need women to access humanity like that's a a patriarchal idea about what it is to be yeah, a man, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Right, and, and is, that, you know, part of being a good dad or being a good man is having th- the capacity for that violence and being willing to use it, um, you know, in protection um, of your family, whether it's biological or self-created. So you have bad dads like um, Matthew Modine's character, who's actually called Papa, right? Oh, in the Papa, first season, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, yeah. But then you have, yeah, he's juxtaposed against uh people like hopper um and you know people like um 
Bob in in season two. You know, these men. Yeah, I know. Right. Samwise. Um, But Mm. these men, you know, who present kind of different models of masculinity um, and who offer a certain something. But, you know, when it comes to actually being able to protect children, like having the capacity um, to physically dominate, to be able to engage in violence if necessary, is 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 part and parcel of yeah. what makes one a good dad. And I think well, it's probably like the murder dad um, phenomenon is probably linked to like the action dad or action grandpa phenomenon, right? Like Liam Neeson <laughs> and Taken. Like for a while there, like we were getting some really like you know just badass grandpas in these action movies coming for people who were, you know, trying to take out their families. Yeah, totally. Um, so one, one last thing I want to just say about uh, season two is uh, I was, I was excited when like there was an opening shot of the first episode where you saw like a bunch of people of color and like punks and just like kind of outcast weirdos ch- being chased down by cops. Um, and, you're like, who are they? I like I'm I'm glad they're responding to the fact that, you know, there's like one person of color on this show <laughs> for the most part. Like maybe they're gonna bring in new characters and and what have you. And um and this is a thing that I've seen in shows generally where it's like the cast is entirely white and the supporting cast is white, and then they get a bunch of criticism and you'll see some changes in that. So for example, like the leftovers, I feel like there's a concerted there was a concerted change in from the first season to the second season in introducing a black family into that universe. Um but so I was excited about it and then then I completely forgot about them because like Episode two, episode three, episode four, like nothing. We don't see these people. And I totally blanked on the fact that they existed. Uh So when they showed up again, I was like, oh, right. And at that point, I'm like, whatever, you've already gone through the entire goddamn show. Um, Also, that particular episode was the worst episode. And I thought it was really, (laughs) I thought it was really disappointing because I think I can do this without spoilers. Um, what I, yeah, I think so. I, I understand why, like, I understand the narrative threads that needed to happen. I understand the the development of Eleven that needed to happen in this space. But those characters were so fucking dumb. Like, just I, as someone who like was a was very much a part of like outcast crews that looked like that. That was not. It was just so over the top, and it was so uh, like. I don't know if flamboyant's the right word, but it was just, it felt really silly. And the fact that they were trying, like, their motivations and the things that they were doing, just, I was, it just did not work for me. And it sucked because I was so happy when Elle met her sister. And, like, there was that emotional connection. And then she was being manipulated. So you have these sort of weirdos and these people of color who are now kind of the bad people. They're kind of the antagonists. Mm-hmm. They're doing the wrong things, quote unquote. And, yeah, and, right. And my feeling is that uh, they were being developed really... uh, I don't think we've seen the last of them. Like, I really feel like they were created almost to to become, like, antagonists later on. Or I feel like Elle and Kali, her sister may have some because we because Kali's still out there right she's still doing her thing presumably and I don't think the show is going to just leave that hanging sure, so sure. I feel like we're going to yeah. see see more of her and yeah you know okay very very last thought about Stranger Things two uh-huh. and one the whole universe of Stranger Things as a child who frequently had nosebleeds like some were so severe oh. that I had to go to the emergency room right I was that kid 
Uh, Why were you doing what? so much cocaine as a child? I know, man. What were my parents thinking? Um, they why does L why does L not carry around Kleenexes? Why? Just because, wipe your goddamn because, fucking nose. Because it wouldn't look as cool if she's like wiping her nose with Kleenex after she's done some or badass. She uses. Thing. She summoned the power. Be like the rest of us within. and use your goddamn sleeve. All right, just like wipe that shit with your sleeve. That could be. Ugh. That could be dramatic. That could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm then it would smear across her. Conversation. It, it would smear across her face, and then it would have the same feeling that you want. But like that dripping down your nose face is not comfortable you don't get used to that why you might but i'm going to pretend because i want to rant about this that you don't get used to that all right we are going to move on to our next section which i hate the name of and i'm going to say this every week until we come up with a new name or i get bored of doing it hey ebony hey anita what's your deal this week I'm glad you asked. I'm sure my you deal are. this <laughs> my deal this week is one. I need to ask you for some time off in spring 2018 because uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle just announced their <laughs> engagement, and I'm gonna need to get my church hat ready because I'm a busted into that wedding. <laughs> The Perfect. way that the the way that the engagement news kind of lit up social media yesterday, and you know, to a person, everyone I follow on Black Twitter was like, I could not care less about the British royal family, but now that we have a black princess who's about to, you know, two step into Buckingham Palace. I'm on board. So, Anita, if you could just go ahead and sign the paper sure, giving sure. me that day I off, heard, that would be fantastic. I saw a tweet about how she's like a like professional like professional calligraphy or something. Was that yes, a joke? Yes, I believe you. I believe you got that information from Ashley, uh, one of our team members. <laughs> oh, who's that's been right. Doing that's the deep in, who's been doing the deep <laughs> investigative work that is, is her byword. Yeah. So apparently she was a freelance calligrapher at some point. I don't know. But what I can tell you is, A, she's three years older than Harry. She's 36. B, she's divorced. C, she's biracial. <laughs> D, she was on a not even fair to middling, but below that level USA show called Suits. Like, I just love Prince Wait, Harry. Wait, she was like, on Suits? Anita, oh my goodness I don't, I'm We not, need to do I'm, more prep. I'm on the other side of the world. I'm not paying attention to anything. Yeah, so she was on Suits. And I'm just telling you, I feel like Prince Harry was like, oh, you want to be mad about something? I'm going to give you 57 reasons to be mad about this okay, moment that I proposed now to. I got to look this shit up because I totally watch Suits, which I don't recommend to anybody. Apparently uh, apparently she played a paralegal on the show. I don't know a single person oh my God, wait, what? under the age like, of 60 who has ever seen an episode of that show. Was she like... Like a recurring that. character? Yeah. Oh my god, I know who she is. Well, good work catching <laughs> up, Anita. <laughs> All right, that's exciting. Um, also, fun fact, uh, Ashley, who is our other, our fourth in the Feminist Frequency family, you will meet her uh, next week. So yeah. Yeah, oh, she'll, yeah. she'll be on I'm the podcast. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, she's not as obnoxious as us at all. So, uh, okay, Carolyn, what's your deal this week? So, you know, uh, in, in the past week, uh, at some point, International Men's Day occurred. And, um, I'm sorry, I can't hear that without wanting to lose my mind. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's a kind of sad in, in my opinion that International Men's Day, in my experience anyway, is, is an day? excuse for, well, <laughs> yes, but also that that for sure. But also it's, you know, it's like, why don't we have White History Month? Because it's fucking every month, oh, right. it's White History Month. Um, but um, like, uh, what was I saying? Um, you- oh yeah, International Men's Day, like to me, it's it seems like just an excuse for men uh, on uh, Twitter, certain men to rail against feminism, you know, even more, maybe a little more than they usually do, you know, whereas I really wish that it could be this um, occasion for highlighting and uh, the ways in which patriarchy is, is harmful to men too. Yeah. But anyway, for, for whatever reason, like the fact that it was international men's day made me think again about the representations of masculinity in the justice league, which we talked about last week. And I started going, Oh, you know what? They really are fucked up. Um, <laughs> like, like, uh, I, you know, cause I, cause I spoke last week about, about this, the scene where there's a scene where, Aquaman starts pouring out his emotions. You know, he's being very sincere, very genuine. He's like really expressing himself in a way that's that's very uncharacteristic of him. And then, of course, the revelation, the joke is that Wonder Woman had the lasso of truth around him. And that's why he was doing it, because he would never, ever, ever in a million years actually do that like uh, normally. And it's like the whole the whole joke is that of course he's not that kind of sensitive, you know, ex- emotionally expressive guy. Like that would be weird. That would be that w- you know, and how messed up that is. And and then there's also the joke um between there's a moment between Superman and Batman where Superman uh says, you know, uh to Batman, I I know you didn't bring me back cuz you like me. Uh and Batman's response, Bruce's response is, uh well, I don't uh, uh I, I don't not like you you know and it's like this weird thing and, and it got a, that got a huge laugh in my theater right because it's like it's all it's like of course these men cannot actually just express themselves to each other and ah. and uh, the other yeah yeah, no, yeah go. go ahead no, 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 go. well the other the other thing the other thing too is going back to the stranger things uh thing of the of the men who were really closed off what is like the big gun the big weapon quote unquote that's that um, batman uses to get at superman's humanity it's lois lane it's a woman right it's it, right. like it's yeah. just a- another example of men whose humanity is like closed off but and can be only accessed or or they can only be imbued with it through like hey, close contact what, what do you gotta get with love woman. carol god you're just like anti-love uh, also- i love i love love <laughs> For the yeah. record, I am I so her. excited yeah. that we have a podcast and this shit is recorded because I'm going to give you a big fat I fucking told you so because last oh, week I, I said that that scene was bullshit and I'm so validated and I'm putting my hands in the air right now and you can't see that. Yeah. Anita's writing it in her, in her little notebook. <laughs> Times I mm-hmm. owned the crew. One. Yeah, which, yeah. which literally yeah. never happened. So I get, I'm going to just take this as uh, not humbly as I possibly can. <laughs> You know what? Uh, I, speaking about this Justice moment. League, I would love if someone um, talked a little bit more about Cyborg. So I don't, I don't know uh, the DC universe as well as I should, um, and so I'm not going <laughs> to, contrary to expectations, I'm not going to advance some half baked theory. But I was really struck by um, the kind of augmented masculinity in Justice League. So you have a character like Aquaman, for instance, right, who is powerful in and of himself. 
right? Like his power resides in himself. Versus a character like Batman, right, whose power, if anything, is being a rich white dude, but who has to, like, clothe clothe himself in armor and needs tools um, to conduct the work that he does. And then you have a figure like Cyborg, which is is something different. You know, it's another version of augmented masculinity, but it's an elimination of of the body. I mean, Cyborg in many ways is more machine than man. And I think it's it's a very interesting thing. Thing. It's a very interesting direction for that kind of character, given that it's a it's a black man. Like his origin was as a black man, right? So like the um, the destruction of his black male body and the mm-hmm. um, the the creation of this 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 new form of masculinity yeah. and what is it you know capable of doing? What is it not capable of doing? You know how does it um, how does it work for him? How does it not work for him? Whatever. Like I I would be interested to read more about yeah, um, if, the the character if, of Cyborg. So if anyone out there can direct me to yeah send us to, links you know, to that interesting reading that would be awesome. I would love to read yeah. that. Yeah. And and super quick, because I'm worried people are going to say, well, what about The Flash? He's like an al- alternative, like, representation of masculinity. And, like, he is, but not, like, a great one, in my opinion. Like, he's so, you know, we see his, uh, his like, lair, his little superhero lair. And, you know, he's got, like, a video of Asian girls dancing. And, I mean, he just, he doesn't seem like uh, uh, somebody with he's so socially awkward and he doesn't seem like somebody with a healthy ability to like engage with other people either. Right. I feel like an interesting topic for another episode or a bonus thing would be, because I'm really fascinated by like the sort of beta male trope and how, like if you are Uh beta uh, quote unquote, then you get to be Mm. really misogynist and shitty and that that's okay. And I see that a lot. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, My deal this week is uh, actually another podcast. So you may have heard that Charles Manson died like a week or two ago. Hooray, whatever. He Hooray. He, he was <laughs> shitty, but he lived too long anyways, so whatever. Um, uh, no, not to minimize how horrible he, that sounded so dismissive. Sorry. Okay. Anyways, my point being is that uh, there is this podcast called uh, You Must Remember This, and it is a storytelling podcast, uh, or it's described as a storytelling podcast about the secret and or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century um, by Karina Longworth. And it's really, really interesting, um, you know, as someone who is fascinated by Hollywood and film and, and the, uh, you know, like getting into the the cultural context of how film, you know, the films that you remember and the the cultures around all of that and how certain directors got their start and all that sort of stuff. So um, I actually haven't listened to much of this podcast at all. It's just been recommended to me. So on this trip, I decided Charles Manson just died and they have a five-part series about Charles Manson and Hollywood. I've listened to the first two episodes and I find it really fascinating because it is a take on serial killers um, and like cult leaders that is intrinsically tied to Hollywood, right? That he was in and engaging with and like hanging out with Hollywood folks. Like he was literally giving women to Hollywood like musicians and actors and stuff like that. Like it was really in such, it it was really, um, yeah, it's so fascinating. And I think one of the things that I found really interesting is that she talks about the culture of Hollywood at the time and how Hollywood was going through an identity crisis um, in Uh terms uh of the films were still very, very old school conservative, but the culture with the sexual revolution and all of these things happening just couldn't keep up. And so Hollywood was desperate 
for something right. new, right? For for to how to tap into that audience. And so Charles Manson enters this scene at this particular time. Um, the second episode is about his relationship with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, which I I didn't know that much about any of this stuff, and it's it's really really good. I think she she writes she's a beautiful storyteller, and I highly recommend um, I highly recommend this series if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, so that's our show. Um, you can catch us back here every single Wednesday forever. And once again, I never asked for this, <laughs> and I never signed a contract to that effect. How do you know? You might have. I might have, like, weaseled it in there when you got hired. You know what? <laughs> you didn't ask me if I watched Buffy when I got hired. So who really did the trickery? <laughs> so, once again, a big, big, big thank you to all of our Drip backers. Drip is Kickstarter's brand new subscription-based crowdfunding platform. We are listener-supported. Everything Feminist Frequency does is listener-supported, or viewer-supported, Whatever. Your money helps us keep doing our work. Sometimes they're watching and sometimes they're reading. So in terms of this podcast, every dollar you contribute to our drip goes directly to producing this particular podcast, Feminist Frequency Radio. So by pitching in, you are joining this growing Feminist Frequency community. We've got some great rewards for you. So head on over to d.rip slash femfreak and join us. Also, if you like this show, we have a small favor to ask. Wherever you are listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play, please leave us a review. It really helps spread the word about the show. And also tell your friends so they can listen too. Uh, You can check out all of our work and our other podcasts at FeministFrequency.com. And you can find each of us on Twitter. I am at Anita Sarkeesian. I'm at Carolyn Michelle. I am at Maxine Waters. (laughs) Aww. Don't, don't, don't send. Yeah, I, oh, whatever. Ebony's at Ebony Astor, et cetera, et cetera. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also compute, compute? Wow. Oh, my God. On on the last take that you all didn't hear, I did the same thing. All right, start again. Our producer is Phil Circus. He also composed our amazing theme music. Oh, yeah, that sounds totally natural, Anita. (laughs) Well, I got it out, so here we are. All right, y'all, we will see you all next week, and hopefully uh, people can talk like not robots. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Later.